What's your favorite memory growing up? Can you think of it right now? Something you did, some place that you went? One of my favorite memories when our kids were small was whenever we would go on a plane somewhere, we always had a, had a row, right? Three on one side, two on the other. And right as the plane began to lift off, our kids would instinctively put their hands in the air like you're, like you're going down a roller coaster. And people would always laugh. And occasionally when we fly somewhere now, uh, I'll, I'll catch one of my kids doing this. We'll all put our hands up and, and, and we'll laugh. We've done it for so long. It's just a great memory. While we were doing that, at one point, um, when our kids were small, my middle daughter leaned over and said, Dad, how do planes fly? And I spent the next seven to ten minutes giving this convoluted answer to a first grader. That I mean, it, it, it showed that what I was missing was a clear picture of how it works. So if you're a, a first grader out there now, if you want to know how flight works, it's very simple. There are two enemies that fight against a plane flying. One is drag. When, you know when you run really fast and you're held back a little bit? That's called drag. And then when you want to get up in the air, it's when you jump, why don't you go 100 feet? It's because of gravity. So drag and gravity hold the plane back, but a plane overcomes these enemies with lift and speed. The engines give the speed, and um, the panels on the, on the wings move that allow the plane to have lift. So drag and gravity are, are fighting against the plane, but the plane has an engine to give it speed to overcome drag, and it has uh, panels on the wings that allow it to over, give it lift to overcome gravity. That picture, ever since I heard someone get, give that picture, that picture has always stayed with me. You know, someone said one time that if you can explain something to a kid, and I'm certainly not saying I did a good job to your kids that are in the living room right now that are thinking, I still don't understand flight. It has helped me. And I wanted to end this series uh, that we've been in with Hebrews by actually going to the Old Testament. The thing about the book of Hebrews is it's actually a sermon that is written to converts to Christianity from Judaism. The entire thing is just filled with quotations from the Old Testament. And there's a person that was alluded to in Hebrews chapter 11 that I want to talk about today because it gives us a very simple picture of where we are right now in our lives and how to deal with it. I think it's just incredibly important. I wanted to finish this series, you know, anywhere but here. How are we feeling right now? Honestly, anywhere from, I just want to be anywhere from here. I want to end with just give you this simple picture, okay? And it's from, we get this picture from this story from this kid named Joseph. So in the Old Testament, in Genesis 37, verse 3, it says this. Now, Israel uh, loved Joseph. He had a son, Joseph, more than any of, us, any of his other sons. He had 11 other sons, and he loved his son Joseph more than any of them because he had been born to him when he was late in his age. Terrible, terrible parenting tactic. Do not favor one of your kids over the others. And he made his son, he made, Jake, or made Joseph 
a richly ornamented robe just for him. He didn't make 12 robes and give them all to the sons. He made one robe and gave it to his youngest son, Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. And that's how you know when you're favoring one kid to the other. Are you giving one child more attention, more love, more accolades, more money, more time than any of the others? When his brother saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated them and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated them all the more. Why? Why did they hate Joseph? Because of a dream. Because he said, listen to the dream that I had. We were all binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly... My sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around at my feet and bowed down to it. Well, that obviously made them hate him even more. Verse 19 says, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns. Where a well. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When the Midianite merchants came by after his brothers took him, decided that they weren't going to kill him, but just honestly beat him up really bad, kick him, punch him, and throw him in a pit. The brothers saw some merchants that were coming through town that were headed to Egypt. And when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers said, listen, let's grab Joseph. So they pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Well, they had to explain this. What story were they going to tell their dad? They took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the the robe in blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, Father, we we found this. We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal had devoured him. Joseph had surely been torn to pieces. And then Joseph, or Jacob, tore his clothes, which in the Old Testament was a sign of mourning. You would throw dirt on your head, ashes on your head from, the, from a fire, throw it on your head, rip your clothes, and you would just enter a period of mourning. And all of his sons and daughters came to comfort him. I mean, what a ruse. You kill your brother, and then you come around and you comfort your dad. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. In mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, the question I have for us this morning is, why would God even allow that to happen in the first place? Like if God is all powerful and God is all wise, 
Why does he let stuff like that happen? It's just incredibly frustrating, especially when you think about this, right? Um, I want you to imagine that you lose 13 years of your life because you're falsely accused and you're thrown into prison. That is exactly what happened to Joseph. He's falsely accused, he's thrown into prison, and then he spends the next 13 years of his life suffering in prison for nothing, for something that he didn't do. He was 17 years old when he was taken from his family. He spent 13 years of his life in prison. Can you imagine if you were falsely accused of something and you lost 13 years of your life? It says in Genesis 37 two, Joseph, a young man of 17, had a dream. And then in Genesis 41, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How old are you right now? I want you to tack on 13 years and I want you to picture yourself walking out of a prison 13 years from now and asking the question, why the heck did that happen? I don't have a, a government or a, a council that, that I can sue and get money back as if that's going to give me my years back. But why would God allow that to happen? And so what I want you to understand is here's the chart of Joseph's life. There's the 17 years of spoiled childhood. There's the 13 years that were the pain of slavery and 80 years of leadership in Egypt. 17 years in childhood, 13 years in slavery, 80 years in in leadership. My question to you is, what period are you in? Every single one of us, and we're probably not all in the same period, we're either before the pit, we're in the pit, or we're after the pit. See, I think there are four reasons why God allows us to go through difficulty and pain like this. One is Jesus is preparing us for something in the future. I talked about that last week. If you haven't seen that message, please go watch last week's message. The second reason is I think Jesus wants to show skeptics that he's real. Like for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been thinking to themselves, you know, heaven and hell hangs in the balance and I'm willing to go through a difficult time if it means reaching my neighbor or my family member that doesn't know God and they'll be with Jesus for all eternity. Let me see. They're going to be with Jesus for all eternity, a small slight or suffering right now or even great pain. How do you compare the two? I want you to think about what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble, but to take heart, I have overcome this world. The apostle Andrew was crucified in the city of Edessa. Church tradition tells us. He was strapped to a cross with ropes and hung for days before he died. The apostle Peter, the tradition is, was crucified in Rome, and he asked to be crucified upside down. The apostle Paul, church tradition tells us, was beheaded for his faith. And the apostle John, the only one to escape a violent death, was exiled on an island named Patmos. And worst of all, 
Listen, do you have children in the room? The worst of all, the apostle Matthew was placed in a room all by himself for four days in a row, and he was forced to watch reruns of the TV show, This Is Us. And he just laid over and died five days later. And you have to admit, after the first season, it went straight downhill, didn't it? You would die too. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. But the church history is filled, starting with Stephen, with women and men of God who are willing to suffer to reach people. And so maybe God is preparing you for something in the future. Maybe God is using this so other people can watch you during a difficult time. The third reason is Jesus wants to sharpen our character. Like there are character flaws and weaknesses that he wants to chip off of us. Like a sculptor looking at a big block of marble and, and Jesus sees this, this beautiful piece of art that we can become, but it's going to take a lot of chiseling. James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work during the dip, during the pit, during the difficult time, perseverance must finish its work so that you and I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. A number of years ago, a friend of mine in the church lost his job. It was a job that he loved. It paid well. It was good for him. It was good for his family. He told me later, these were his exact words, quote, being laid off was a blessing in disguise. Before I was laid off, I always took material things too seriously and I let them get in between me and God. Since I was laid off, I've gotten my relationship with God back where it needed to be. Being laid off was a real God thing. The last thing, the last reason is, I think sometimes Jesus would say, sometimes I allow you to suffer and I just, I can't tell you why right now, but one day I will. Very good friend of mine, his fourth child was born with Down syndrome. This guy was is a incredible, committed believer. Obviously, he loves his son. Obviously, obviously, his son matters. But why? Why did why? Friend of ours, dad wasn't feeling very well. Went to a checkup, and then just died of unknown causes. Month later. My brother-in-law lost his brother, sister, and father within months of one another. What's that about? Some of you have had friends just die of COVID, like they were fine. And some of you may not have had people die, but this year honestly has been hell on earth. I think all of us ask the same question. What possible reason could God have for allowing this to happen? And I think the picture that we have to have in our mind is that there's a before, there's a pit, and there's an after. That's it. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you're in that pit, you're just going to have to trust me. Read the Bible. It's filled with stories of people in the pit that they couldn't see beyond the pit. But when you look back at the totality of their life, they're like, ah, 
Yeah, that made sense. And that's where faith comes in, like we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. Now, here's, here's the kicker. Genesis 37, 2 and 5 says, Joseph, a young man of 17, had a dream. And then in Genesis 41, it says Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. In between that, for 13 years, it says this, Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is, is with you right now. And he's going to get you through this pit. There's a reason. You just may not know it until you meet him face to face. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for how you've communicated truth through this book of Hebrews. We thank you for the encouragement we find. We thank you for the challenge we find. Most importantly, God, we just thank you for the hope that we find. Our future, our life is not, is not based, is not grounded on the news. It's grounded on the rock. And we thank you that through storm and sunny days, this rock never changes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.